I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. On the topic of salvation, the book of Romans is thought to be one of the most theologically concise letters in the New Testament. Martin Luther, a well-known theologian, said, This epistle is really the chief part of the New Testament and is truly the purest gospel. He thought every Christian should know the whole book of Romans word for word by heart. He says, Each Christian should occupy their minds with this book every day as the nourishment of the soul. And we can never read it or ponder over it too much. For the more we deal with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. In the first verse of our passage this morning, Paul makes an appeal or a strong request to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. And Paul's request is intimately connected with the sum of the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, which Paul presents in the very last verse of chapter 11 in the book of Romans. Referring to God, Paul wrote, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Inexhaustible meaning is packed into this simple phrase of praise to the God that has revealed himself to us in his word. From him, everyone and everything exists. God is the creator and sustainer of all. He had no need of us or anything in creation, but all of creation flows from his existence. And that is what it means to be God, to be the one and the only creator completely independent, all-powerful, all-knowing. God is good and loving. He is gracious and ruler of all. The triune God of the Bible is the one who produced the universe and all within it as a well-ordered system. So question, if God is all that he has revealed about himself in the scriptures, then why is the world filled with so much evil and pain and death? 
The answer is that God did not make the world in the way that you and I know it today. Adam, the first human, the leader of humanity, disobeyed God, and all creation was corrupted. This act of disobedience sold Adam and the rest of humanity into bondage under sin and hatred of the Creator. Under Adam, all mankind is drawn to suppressing the truth, to worshiping the things that are created rather than the one who created them. God made everyone and everything to display his glory, and he made mankind especially in his image. And God commanded man to fill the earth with that image and live a life wholly devoted to him. Under Adam, all mankind was corrupted, and that image marred. Nevertheless, God will be glorified, even by the sinful and rebellious. Those like Paul, those like God's children in Rome, like me, and like you, God will be glorified. All creation is from God. And salvation is from God. Before the foundations of the world, God's plan was to save mankind from slavery to sin and establish for himself a people devoted to God. All children of Adam have their minds set on the flesh and the desires of the flesh. They are fixed on ungodliness and they cannot bring about salvation from within themselves. That is why through him, the plan for the salvation of God's people, God's children, was accomplished. Apart from God, no one is good. No one is righteous. No, not one. And Romans 3 says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. When he was on earth, Jesus Christ lived the perfect life of devotion to God the Father in our place. Every man that is enslaved to sin is hostile to God and cannot please him by obedience or even taking the penalty for disobedience. Jesus not only lived the life that we must live but cannot, he accepted our punishment and suffered the death that we deserve for our disobedience. After living and dying in our place, Jesus rose from the dead. And if he remained dead, our sins would not be forgiven. But he did rise and he ascended to the Father His sacrifice was acceptable to God as payment for our disobedience. The Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead, declaring him to be the Son of God in power. And Jesus is with the Father now, advocating for those who love and trust him. Through Jesus Christ, one may be free from the penalty and the power and the presence of sin. And this is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. This salvation 
is incredibly good for us because we did nothing to earn it. Jesus Christ earned it and offers it to us. From God are all things. To him are all things made right. Through him are all things made right. And to him belongs all devotion, praise, and honor. He accomplished what no human could earn through a lifetime or even an eternity of doing good works or avoiding bad things. The first 11 chapters of Romans explains why from God and through God and to God are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. This marvelous reality could only result in the appeal that the Apostle Paul gave to his audience then and gives to us now in Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. When you hear the word sacrifice, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Do you think of something like time given up to help a family member or friend in need? Maybe an athlete giving up certain foods or social activities to excel at sports? Well, the thoughts of Paul's original audience would have been that of animal sacrifice. And these sacrifices were commanded by God and recorded in Leviticus 4 to convey a message to his children. Under the old covenant or agreement between God and his children, the slaughter of animals was required when sins were committed. A perfect animal was to be sacrificed or given up. And this intimately informed God's children that every single sin brings death and the shedding of blood. The animals received the penalty of death that God's children deserved for their disobedience. And the book of Hebrews informs us that the life and blood of animals could not take away man's sin, but rather this sacrificial system was put in place to point mankind to their need for God to provide a savior in a new covenant. A savior who would put on flesh and make an eternal payment for the debt of any man who would trust in him. And this Savior is none other than Jesus Christ. Under the new covenant, the punishment of death was received by Jesus. Now God's children are free from slavery to sin, and their sacrifice is no longer one of death, but of life. A living sacrifice is a life devoted to God. In our time together this morning, we will seek to better understand this living sacrifice by considering three points. First, a renewed heart. Second, a renewed mind. And third, renewed hands. Notice first, a renewed heart. As a result of the truths laid out in the previous content of this letter, Paul makes his urgent requests by the mercies of God. In 12 verse 1, he says, 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Mercy is the forgiveness or compassion given to a person who deserves punishment or indifference. In other words, an act of mercy is to withhold the punishment from a person that truly deserves it. So what does Paul mean by making his appeal by the mercies of God? For example, if Paul were to say, I appeal to you therefore by word of mouth, this would mean that the words coming from Paul's mouth acted as the vehicle to deliver this appeal. So in order for Paul's appeal to come by the mercies of God, this must mean that the mercy given by God is the medium or the vehicle that delivers the appeal. Mercy is not audible words. It's not written words. So how can this be? Well, if you know the life of the Apostle Paul, then you know that he is well acquainted with the mercies of God. In the book of Acts chapter 9, we learn that Paul, who is formerly known as Saul, was breathing threats against the followers of Jesus Christ and physically assaulting them for their devotion to God. And God intervenes by knocking Paul off his high horse, so to speak. Paul was struck blind, and God demanded to know why Paul was oppressing his children. After Paul obeyed the Lord of those that he once mistreated and abused, God returned Paul's sight and made him a medium or a vehicle to deliver the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 through 16, Paul says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul is able to give his appeal in our passage because God gave him mercy. Paul did not receive the punishment that he deserved for tormenting God's people. Instead, Paul was given a new heart towards God. He no longer hated God and his children Paul became a living sacrifice by spreading the gospel and teaching God's children the way and the truth, even though it would result in his persecution and his death. Not only does Paul issue this appeal by the mercies of God, but the audience is only able to fulfill the call by the mercies of God. We know from Paul's experience that a life devoted to God begins with receiving God's mercy. In granting us his mercy, God renews our hearts. He removes the corrupted heart of stone and replaces it with a heart that desires to love and obey him. A heart that is devoted to him as a living sacrifice. Friends, in order for God to show me and to show you mercy... Someone must receive the wrath 
that is deserved, that we deserve. And Jesus invites you and he invites me, rebels and haters of God, to believe that he is one with God the Father, to trust him to wipe away our sinfulness and to hide him in the pure devotion that he has to the Father. Friends, by the mercy of God alone, may we present ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. If we try to devote ourselves to God apart from receiving his mercy and trusting in Jesus Christ to empower us, then we are seeking to glorify ourselves and not the true Savior. God will not be mocked. He is the Lord. He knows the hearts of man. He knows the heart of me, and he knows the heart of you. And if you sit here today and think that you can leverage your good acts to outweigh your bad, God knows. Without the mercy of God and a renewed heart, you and I are destined for death because we are not at peace with God. If we rely on our works to save us, then Jesus Christ has not accepted the wrath of God on our behalf. Those who rely on their performance will receive the full measure of justice, which is an eternity of suffering and separation from the loving kindness of God. So what are we to do? Trust in Jesus Christ. From the beginning of his earthly ministry to the end, he lived a perfect life, wholly devoted to God the Father. He alone can save us. If you desire to know more about this salvation, this peace with God, I will be at the back doors after the service, and I invite you to talk with me or anyone you've seen on stage about this salvation. And we would love to share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ and point you to the mercy of God. A renewed heart is the first necessity of a life devoted to God. Notice second, a renewed mind. Look at me, look with me at verse 2 of Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Here Paul begins to lay out the implications of his appeal. And in chapter 8, he tells us that God's children are predestined to be conformed into the image of God the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And as part of our salvation, we are freed from corruption. Paul wrote, do not be conformed to this world, meaning do not join in with this world in its rebellion against God. This defiant world devotes itself to lifeless pleasures and material objects. And Jesus Christ is able to set us free from following the world and enables us to devote our lives to God. 
When Paul wrote, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, this indicates that a renewal of the mind must follow in the life of those with renewed hearts. Paul does not say transform yourselves, yourself by the renewal of your mind. He says be transformed. This transformation is not accomplished by our efforts or our knowledge. We must be acted upon by an outside force in order to change. Just like in physics, where an object will continue on its course unless acted upon by an outside force. We must be acted upon by the word of God, which is the outside force that changes and renews our mind to be conformed to God. God's mercy renews our hearts and his word renews our minds. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The renewal of the mind is the ability to recognize what is the will of God, and God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. For God's people, their hearts have been renewed and their minds must follow. The mind must change from being set on the flesh. The mind that is set on the flesh brings death, but the mind that is set on the spirit brings life. And only with a renewed heart is the mind renewed and set on the spirit. Paul goes on to say in verse 3 of Romans chapter 12, For by the the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. God's word corrects our thoughts to focus on what is good. God's word trains our minds for righteous living and focuses us on him and not an overinflated sense of self-worth or accomplishment. A renewed mind must be present in a living sacrifice. So we must ask ourselves, what do we fill our minds with? Is it the news of this world that is devoid of hope? Do you fixate on the scrolling of the social media? Or do you immerse yourself into entertainment with the mental escape of video games or fantasies? None of these will transform your mind. They will, tra- they will conform your mind to the world, rob you of your hope, and keep your mind set on the flesh. Trust in Jesus Christ. His word is true. His word is life-giving. His word is filled with hope. Our minds are renewed by being saturated in the word of God. So pick up your Bibles and pray for God 
to renew your mind. A renewed heart is fundamental for a living sacrifice. A renewed mind must follow and both result in our third point, renewed hands. Look with me at verses 4 through 6 of Romans chapter 12. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Paul's command for God's children not to think more highly of themselves than they ought indicates that prideful thoughts and comparison of abilities are no strangers to God's children. But pride and comparison are nonsensical and foolish, especially for the children of God. God is the one who renews the heart, and his word renews the mind. On top of that, God has joined his children together into one group, all working in harmony to serve him, like the different systems of the human body work together to maintain life and consciousness. God gives salvation to his children, and he also equips them with abilities that he will use to build up his church. As soon as anyone thinks more highly of themselves than they ought, they forget that the one thing that they have contributed to their salvation is the sin from which they needed to be rescued. By blessing others, each person blesses him themselves. Just like in the human body, every body part benefits from each part performing its function and serving the whole. Comparison amongst God's children is without reason, like comparing apples and oranges. Both are fruit, but an orange cannot make a delicious apple pie, nor is an apple a tangy source of vitamin C. And Paul goes into depth on this idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 20, 12 through 20 say, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into the body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And we are all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. 
we are saved and given purpose. First and foremost, to glorify God, and that by serving Him and others. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. God's children have unity in salvation, but not uniformity. Similarly, the parts of the human body all work for the benefit of the body, but not all the parts perform the same function. I don't know about you, but I am certainly glad that not all the members of my body produce saliva. (laughs) Saliva is good. It aids in digestion, and it fights bacteria. But I also need dry hands and feet to do stuff. So... The human body is truly amazing. And the church of God is truly amazing. Many different people from various backgrounds and seasons of life uniting to worship God and present themselves as living sacrifices. God's saints have renewed hearts, renewed minds, and have been given abilities to serve with renewed hands. Giftings and abilities are a blessing from God. And when we become part of his church, we can use those gifts in a renewed sense. Not to collect praises for ourselves, but to magnify God and benefit his church. Your talents are not for you. My talents are not for me, but to help others. And the local church exists to be an outlet to exercise your abilities in a way that glorifies God. The command may not be nearly as explicit as we want, but we are saved to serve as members in the local church. Every member of the local church, like every part of the human body, has a function. Take the appendix, for example. A small dead-ended tube attached to the long intestine. The organ that many people think is no longer useful and can be lopped off and discarded. Well, false, because the appendix has not become obsolete. It is a storage place for good bacteria to aid in digestion. The lowly appendix has a purpose. How much more does every member of the local church, have a purpose. Paul gives examples in verses 6 through 8 of Romans chapter 12. He says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. If you have been saved by God, you have received a gift from him. Whether some form of service or teaching, he can and he will use that gift to strengthen his church. And if you are not a member of, of a church that is faithful 
to God's word, we invite you to join us here at Berean. Please fill out a connection card. It can be found in a seat back near you. And you could turn that in to the offering box in the foyer or you could hand it to me. Come and find me. And if you would like help discerning what giftings God has given you, please connect with me and we can work together to discover and employ your gifts for the glory of God. God renews our minds after he renews our hearts. And that results in renewed hands so that each one of us may present ourselves as living sacrifices to him and live a life devoted to God. Let's pray. God, you are so good and holy. We thank you for the salvation that you offer through Jesus Christ. We thank you for making us a part of your mission to to spread this, this news around the world and to to join a local body and serve and and build up your church. And I pray that you would enable us to to seek to present ourselves as, as living sacrifices to you, living in devotion to you. And we pray all this in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.